Misses the throw, pocket collapses, he backpedals, pumps once, sidesteps the tackler, runs to the right, 15th, pumps, fires, end zone, caught, touchdown! Don't forget about the Ravens. This is a team that has Lamar Jackson Great. going into a big season contract-wise and a bunch of guys who want to prove that last year was an aberration. It was not what they are. Um, I really only got one message right now for all the questions, you know what I'm saying? So every question is going to come after this as respectfully as I can say as possible. Just watch how we bounce back. That's all I got to say. I hit the booth and I just went super saying I run with the purple like I play with the Ravens. These bitches ran a Raven. Hope I never have to go back watching. Everybody loves Raymond eating Raymond. Nigga, this paradise. Life's a fucking paradox at paradise. If they not rolling with you, then they parasites. Nigga, I had that vision. It was clear in sight. Nigga, shine down. And what's happening, guys? This is KJ here with another episode of Ravens Universe. Today will be the Thursday night football preview of Ravens at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So a couple things to say um, with this being a Thursday night game. Everybody fears these games. I know the players don't like it. I know it's it's a quick turnaround for teams and Typically, you don't see a lot of great games on Thursday night, and here's a couple of reasons why. If you're looking at a super short turnaround. Most of the teams that play on Thursday night played this past Sunday. Both these teams did. And so think about it. You're looking at Ravens. Let's see. Who did we just play? Browns. So we're going. So we didn't have to travel. But so for, you know, they, they have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then boom, game. So you're really looking at three days for not only recovery, but preparation, scheme, install, walkthroughs, practices, stuff like that. So not a ton of time to get prepared for an NFL game, which is why I don't like these Thursday night games. I know a lot of people feel the same way, but it is what it is. It's here to stay from what it seems with that huge signing with Amazon. So just got to roll on and uh, roll with the punches, really. But do you typically see, sometimes you don't see a lot of these games being that high scoring because, like I said, not a lot of time to prepare and install. So you see a lot of simplified schemes, a lot of simplified uh, playbooks, things like that for these Thursday night games because you can't get too intricate with such short amount of time of, for preparation and install leading up to Thursday. So with that being said, we will do a preview here tonight. Um, this will come out tomorrow morning, game day at 7 a.m. So here's what we got going on. So Ravens at four and three, playing the Bucks at three and four. Obviously, Tampa's coming off two losses. Some would say they probably shouldn't have lost against the Steelers two weeks ago, and then they just lost against the Panthers, their division rivals. And you could, I mean, some people would say they weren't supposed to lose those games. Steelers is. It is what it is. Definitely don't think they should have lost against a Panthers team that fired their head coach and traded their best player and Christian McCaffrey away week that week. But anything can happen on any given Sunday, literally. So that's what happened. Bucks lost, actually got completely trampled by the Panthers. So here's what we're looking at. Tampa Bay Buccaneers record is 3-4. and four. Head coach Todd Bowles, obviously, and their offensive coordinator, Bylon Leftwich, a former NFL quarterback. Let's go into the injury report for them. So a couple key injury reports here as of today on Wednesday. Mike Evans, he was limited in practice this week with a hamstring, or I'm sorry, with an ankle injury. 
Russell Gage, their other running uh, other receiver, did not practice this week due to a hamstring injury. And then Antoine Winfield Jr. did not practice at all this week from a concussion. It's looking like Mike Evans will probably play. Not sure about Russell Gage. And it's looking like Winfield will not play Thursday, especially such a quick turnaround from having a concussion <clears throat> to a and Miami. Uh, don't want to have the same thing happen that happened to Miami, obviously. Let's go into their roster. So obviously at quarterback, they have Tom Brady. Here's a couple things I like and don't like about this game in regards to Tom Brady. Coming off two losses, I mean, I wonder what the, la- the last time Tom Brady lost three games in a row as a starter. Probably should have looked that up because I have been thinking about it, but I'm I'm assuming if it has happened, it doesn't happen frequently. So I don't like that going for us with you know Brady knowing that he's staring down the barrel of a three game losing streak. Uh, I plan on him you know doing whatever he possibly can to win this game Thursday, obviously. But then on the other hand, and I mean what I also don't like too is this guy's got nothing to lose. I mean he doesn't have a family anymore. Uh, three game losing streak. They got to win a game to get back in a division hunt and just backs up against the wall and you can't really bet against Brady, you know, his whole career. I know he's having somewhat of a down year, but the dude's still doing well. We'll get into it later on. Actually, right now. So, so far this season, his completion percentage is 66.9%. He's got 1,942 passing yards, eight touchdowns, one interception. So he's doing a fairly good job taking care of the ball through the passing game. However, he does have three fumbles. We all know what happens when you pressure Brady. That's the key to beating him. And he has 6.6 yards per attempt. So not great. The typical Brady kind of dump offs and quick slants and outs and just systematic stuff that you see some from Brady, even dating back to his new England days. Going to running back. They obviously have Leonard Fournette who has 362 rushing yards, one touchdown and 3.5 yards per carry. Nothing special. 239 yards receiving though. With three receiving touchdowns and getting seven yards per reception out of the backfield. They have Rashad White, who's slowly getting more reps in that offense. Um, You could see him kind of continue to get more of an established role as the season goes on. So he's a pretty decent back. He only has 71 yards rushing. Like I said, he's only really kind of shown up or really gotten decent snap counts the last couple weeks. But he has 71 rushing yards, one touchdown, only at 2.7 yards per carry. He's got 14 receptions for 104 yards, though, so another decent receiving option out of the backfield. We all know Brady likes to do that. Wide receivers, this is uh, where the team strength is, but it's also their heel right now with a lot of injuries. We have Chris Godwin, who's coming off that bad ACL tear last season. He has 29 catches for 293 yards, no touchdowns. He's getting 10 yards per reception. Mike Evans, obviously their number one receiver, 33 catches, 454 yards, 13.8 yards per reception, and three touchdowns. Russell Gage has 29 receptions, 231 yards, one touchdown. Rashad Perryman, uh, the hated receiver from Baltimore, um, flashbacks and a lot of PTSD from drafting that guy, thinking he was going to be the, be the answer for the Ravens offense, and boy did that crumble. But he's actually ended up turning his career around a little bit, playing for Brady, obviously. I forget the other team he played with. Hmm. Maybe it was the Jets? I forget, though. Anyway, he has six catches for 89 yards, one touchdown, two fumbles. 
Uh, obviously, their free agent pickup this year, Julio Jones, he has four catches of 76 yards, no touchdowns, 19 yards per catch. He's been injured all, all year and hasn't gotten a ton of reps. Um, so, obviously, with just the four receptions. We'll go to their tight ends, Cameron Bate, Kate Otten, Kyle Rudolph. None of them really scare me that much. Kate Otten's kind of come along the last two or three weeks or so. And I think Brady's starting to trust him a little bit more. So, we'll see what happens with those tight ends. Let's move on to the Buccaneers defense. Couple guys to look out for. Oh, key players on the offense. Obviously, I'm going to go with Tom Brady, and I guess Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. Those are kind of obvious, but receiving core definitely something to look at. And then obviously Brady's. If we're able to pressure him and see how he reacts to that and adapts. Defense. Let's go to D line. We'll start from the front and go to the back. So D line. They have number 50, Vita Vea, obviously stud. I mean, he's, I believe he's an all-pro. If not, he's 100% a pro bowler. He's just a game record. He's going to be my player to watch on the defensive line on the defense. Remember, number 50, Vita Vea. He's got one forced fumble, three and a half sacks, 18 tackles, three tackles for loss, and six quarterback hits. Next up is number 95, DeAndre Sanat. He's got one sack, 13 tackles, two tackle for losses, and one quarterback hit. 92, William Golston. He's got 15 tackles, three quarterback hits. So, obviously, the stud being Vita Vea in that uh, defensive line group. Going to go to outside linebackers, okay? A couple studs here is Shaquille Barrett. He's got one forced fumble, two sacks, 27 tackles, three tackle for losses, and five quarterback hits. So, stud coming off the edge. Number nine, Joe Tryon. He was a guy I was super high on in the draft two years ago. I really wanted the Ravens to get him. Um, he had a fairly productive rookie year-ish. He had some veterans that got a lot more snaps than he did, but still was able to contribute, and he's having a decent year. He has one and a half sacks, 16 tackles, three tackle for losses, and four quarterback hits. And then number 93, Carl, uh, what's his name? Nasib or something like that? I'm probably fucking that up, but anyway. He's got one pass deflection, one fumble recovery, two sacks, 11 tackles, three quarterback hits. So, a fairly talented um, outside linebacker group. Let's go to linebackers. All right. One of the best linebackers in the game, number 45, Devin White, LSU stud. He is a he's a, he's a perfect linebacker, I have, I'd, I'd have to say. He's one of your guys that he's well, he's good in pass coverage. He's great at filling gaps, filling holes, but also not getting washed out. So, he's good at reading things and being able to read and then fill in cutback lanes if they're available. So he never he doesn't overcommit much. He's he's you can tell he does a ton of film study because he never really overpursues. He's good at holding an edge if he has to and he's good at avoiding getting washed out in plays. Anyway, he's got four pass deflections. I mean, those that's kudos to his pass coverage abilities. He has one forced fumble, three sacks and 53 tackles and him and then his co-linebacker Levante David, also a very talented linebacker. They both share the, um, they both share 53 tackles each, leading their teams. And Levante David also has two pass deflections, one sack. So these guys are uh, multifaceted. They're able to be fairly decent pass coverage and also blitz and get to the quarterback. All right, let's go to cornerbacks. Cornerbacks number 24, Carlton Davis. Pretty good. He's got four pass deflections, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, and 31 tackles. And number 35, Jameel Dean. 
He's going to be my guy to watch this game. He's a pretty underrated corner. He has two interceptions, four pass deflections, and 30 tackles. So he's been doing fairly well locking up their uh, you know number two wide receivers for opposing offenses. You'll typically see Carlton Davis taking the lead with the number one. Um, and now they don't necessarily always, from the film I saw, they don't necessarily always have him following the number one. But um, they, they're pretty good at using these two guys and switching them up and giving you different looks on the defensive end. And then safety. Unfortunately, Antoine Winfield isn't going to be playing this game, most likely. Um, I love watching him. I mean, listen to these stats, guys. Through seven weeks, he's got one interception, two pass deflections, one fumble recovery, three sacks, and 39 tackles. So he's second in tackles as a safety and also has three sacks, which I believe also ties for the lead for the team. So he's not only a game wrecker as far as defending the pass, but he is, they are so good at putting him in the box and just letting him run wild. So I'm not going to talk too much about him because he probably isn't playing this game, but if you get a chance to watch the Buccaneers, definitely watch him when he's playing. He's, he's a phenomenal player, and I got nothing but love for that guy. Number 32, Mike Edwards. He's got one interception, one or two pass deflections, one sack, and 42 tackles. So both these guys are really active in the run game and also active in the... Um, obviously as a safety in the uh, pass coverage game as well. Now the Bucks overall offense points per game. They're at 20.6 points per game. Now, if you go back to last year, they were at 33.4 points per game. So obviously they've had some setbacks. Um, a couple things that go into that is their, their offensive line. I think they're on their third string center and their second string guard. And they're just, They've got hit by the injury bug pretty bad. Obviously, the receivers have been hit all year long in and out, so they don't have a lot of consistency on that offensive uh, on the offensive roster. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Um, here's something to think about too. So their first five opponents. Now remember the three and four, I believe. So they their first five opponents overall record was fifteen and ten. Okay. Now. Injuries on the offense, obviously, receiver and O-line. But then I believe their first, let's see, I think their remaining schedule, their current opponent's record is like 9-16 and 16 or something. So it looks like their schedule gets slightly easier um, going into the uh, latter weeks of the season. Now, from the film study, I did what I believe, I think their most successful establishing a run game to open up their passing lanes and pass game. So, for example, the first three weeks, they averaged 30 run attempts per game. They relied heavily on Fournette, who had a good couple weeks in the beginning of the season. And then the last four weeks, they're averaging 66% of their snaps as pass attempts. So they completely changed up the distribution as far as run versus pass game. All right. Um, they now have the worst run game in the NFL. They're 31st in rush yards and 32nd in yards per carry. So what's that say for the Ravens? If you can stop, I mean, it shouldn't, I don't want to say it's going to be easy to stop their rush, their running game, but they are last. So maybe that's able, maybe that allows us to put a little bit more focus to stop the pass and not have to send so many guys all the time. However, who knows? They're probably going to send 
the house all the time to try and get in Brady's head and try and get some QB hits on Brady and throw him off. But hey, who knows? Now let's switch over to the Ravens side. Ravens injury report this week. We got Andrews did not practice for the knee. Bateman did not practice with a foot. Josh Bynes did not practice with a quad. Ronnie Stanley did not practice with his ankle. Calais Campbell did not practice due to an illness. Gus as Gus Edwards was limited due to his knee. Now a lot of these I think are just it's a short week. They're not they don't see any benefit in these guys practicing or going all out in practice. They're just fine doing their film studies, their installation, their walkthrough, stuff like that. So I think Bateman, Andrews, Bynes, Stanley, Calais, and Gus, I think all those guys end up playing this game, but we'll see. A couple things I want to point out leading up this season now. Okay, so the Ravens' third down attempts, they have 83 third down attempts. All right. They've converted 35 out of 83, so they're only at a third down conversion rate of 42.4%. Not something to be proud of. Now, on fourth down, they've attempted eight, and they've converted four, so that's easy math. I like easy math. 50% conversion rate on fourth down. Not bad. I mean, it is what it is. Now, their opponent, or let's do this. The Ravens' red zone statistics. So they've been the red zone 24 times with scores 14 out of 24 with a 58.3% rate. Their opponents in the red zone, they've had 26 red zone opportunities and scored on 17 of them for 65.4% red zone conversion percentage. Obviously, you stack those two two up, opponents are scoring better in the red zone than the Ravens are. It's tough to win games that way. If they want to win games, especially these last two weeks, they're getting good drives and getting in the red zone and stalling out and relying on field goals. Or, unfortunately, even uh, a couple times this season, turning the ball over and getting no points at all. So that has to be an emphasis, not only this week, but all the games going forward is taking advantage of not only just getting in the red zone, but having a good plan once you're in the red zone. A lot of times they get in the red zone and it looks like they don't have any sort of fucking script. Like the play calling in the red zone, they're almost panicking like, oh my God, we have to score here. It's going back to what I said last week or my recap earlier in the week is they seem like they're playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And for those of you that played sports, you you understand that concept. You've probably heard it before. It's a big difference. Now let's talk about some of my concerns. Um, like I said, I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to be negative, but these are just some things. I was on PFF a couple times this week looking up some interesting stats, kind of trying to figure out, get a good picture of maybe – what's going on with this team statistically and maybe it'll help me paint a picture on what they can do to improve things like that so some of my concerns can the Ravens running attack can they continue this good this effective running attack that they've established the last two or three weeks and will they stick with it a lot of these games they're running the ball great in the first half they get a lead and then they abandon it I mean, what are you told when you when, for a running game? The advantage of a running game is you're eating up clock, you're you're able to control the pace of the game, and not only that is it's tiring on the defense. If you if they are just getting beat on the run game 
up the A-gaps, around the side. People are having to sprint from sideline to sideline. they got linebackers going from sideline to sideline to make tackles. Those D-linemen are getting gassed. I mean, that's, that's part of a mental game. I mean, if they're getting beat all the time in the run game, then the pass game is going to be open, and the defense knows that, and it's taxing. Now, here's something else I looked up. This is all from PFF. Team rushing statistics. Lamar leads the team with 510 yards, two touchdowns, and 7.7 yards per carry. Next up is Kenyon Drake with 189 yards, one touchdown, 4.5 yards per carry. Not terrible. Obviously, he has, you know, it's a, it's a, committee backfield so none of these guys are going to get a ton right now in this point of the season are going to have a ton of receiving or rushing yards especially when Lamar's so effective at it as well then you go to J.K. Dobbins with 123 yards one touchdown 3.5 yards per carry Justice Hill has 151 yards 6.3 yards per carry pretty impressive just hold on to the ball he'll probably be in the doghouse for the next couple weeks you know how hardball is whenever running back fumbles especially in a situation like that with the game's under control, and we most likely win the game, or we don't have to be so stressed out with another field goal or a touchdown that drive, which would have definitely happened. And then Gus Edwards with one game under his belt, 66 yards, two touchdowns, 4.1 yards per carry. Here's the thing about having Gus back, though. I have so much more confidence in third and shorts, fourth and shorts, because that that's what he that's his bread and butter. That guy is so he's he's got to be one of the most underrated running backs in the NFL for the last three to four seasons. I mean, when you need a play, when you need a third and short, a fourth and short, any sort of conversion, Gus is just so effective at it. He is so good, and having him back last week just made me feel so much more comfortable. On a couple third downs, on the fourth and one at the goal line, I was like, Gus is going to find the end zone. He's going to do it. That guy just knows where he needs to get, and how to do it. And I just, you got to love Gus the Bus. I am, I'm, I'm proud to hop back on that bus and just ride that man like a pony, no homo, and just see where it takes us. Feed Gus the ball. Now, out of all the running backs, when you add up the yards, they have 529 total yards. Lamar has 510. So you have one, two, three, four. You have five running backs. That bear that only have 19 yards more combined than Lamar has himself. The running back by committee is great, and I understand we need it early in the season, but I think we gotta start riding these guys. I mean, if it's if it's me, I'm sticking with Gus and Kenyon Drake. And just riding those two guys until Dobbins is back in four to six weeks. Maybe Justice Hill gets another shot, but he's been good, but I, I just think. Kenyon Drake and Gus are the answer currently. Now, here's another thing I really want to see the Ravens incorporate more, and I think it's a huge red flag, and part of it is Lamar. I think part of it is the scheme, but anyway, let me get into it. It's receptions out of the backfield. Out of all the running backs, they only have 138 total yards receiving, and 56 of those yards or to Pat Ricard, our fullback. I, he's a stud. He's an athlete. I love seeing him catch the ball. He's He just reminds me of a, like a rhino. Just He gets the ball both arms down, and he just looks like a rhino, trotting down the field, just bulldozing people the fuck out of the way. And it's, it's freaking awesome to watch. But if your fullback has a third 
more than a third of your receiving yards out of the backfield, I feel like that's a problem. I think if we can get more schemes and develop a little bit more better outlets, you know, you got flare routes out the backfield, you got bubble routes, swing routes, screens, God forbid, if we can complete a screen, that'd be absolutely fantastic because that's a completely, like, different asset that the Ravens just don't have since Ray Rice, essentially. And it does so much for an offense, and we don't even attempt them. They're they're terrified of running screens for whatever reason. I don't know. This is dated back to years and years ago. Now, what that does is, and I think part of it's Lamar. I think if they can do this, it'll help Lamar too. And part of it is also, you know, if, if you have running backs flaring out or whatever, it gives Lamar an emergency or a safety route, right? So if something's not open downfield, then you can get a swing route to the running back that releases. There's also delay routes where you can still have a running back in the backfield to help chip on a D end. And then once they lay that shoulder, give a chip, they pause for a second, and then they roll out of the backfield with a little flare route or a swing route. So if Lamar's getting pressured and there's not enough time to get the ball to receiver or Andrews or tight end, then he has a safety valve. And here's the thing. In today's NFL, you see... So many productive plays from these short routes out of the backfield. Because think about it. You got receivers flushing corners downfield. A tight end taking linebackers downfield. There's always typically someone that is has their eyes on or man up on the running back in the backfield. I'll take an open field one-on-one any day. If you get a flare out and now you got an eight-yard distance between the ball carrier and a cornerback. Or better yet, a linebacker and you just got open field, I'll take a one-on-one any day. Plant, juke, spin, stiff arm. You see so many big plays happen from these short flare swing routes out of the backfield because it's you're, you're essentially getting a one-on-one most of the time. And then with the other receivers running routes down the field, you got cornerbacks and safeties flushed out. So there's so much open grass. And I really would like to see them incorporate more of this stuff. It'll help Lamar because he's holding the ball far too long. A lot of the sacks that they're taking is not always on the offensive line. It's Lamar holding on to the ball for too long. So that's a couple things. And then I'll, let's let's move on the positive. I want to give a couple player spotlights is what I'll call it. All right. First off, he gets a lot of hate from the fan base. I've said some things about him as well. Obviously, like like I said, I don't play professional football. I feel dumb really shitting on guys when I'm just sitting on the couch watching them. And I have, you know, I understand what they're going through to a small degree just because I played in high school. I know it's nothing impressive, but you get the you get the trials and tribulations from having a great game and having a bad game and how that wears on you mentally. And I want to give a shout out to Patrick Queen. The last two weeks he's played really well. All right, he's got so this is these are season statistics up to this week. He has 49 tackles, which leads the team in tackles. So he's leading the team in tackles, which is typically what you want a linebacker, okay? 34 of those 49 tackles are solo tackles. I mean, that's impressive. He's got an interception, he's got two pass deflections, he's got a forced fumble, and he's got three and a half sacks. As a linebacker, three and a half sacks. That, that's impressive, only through, what, six or seven weeks at this point? 
So I just I just want to you know give give a little bit of dose of positivity for Patrick Queen and give him a little shout out because the last two weeks he's done really well and I'm just kind of manifesting it into the ether and to the football gods to have him continue to play at this level or this level this the way he's playing because he's doing really well and I would love to see him stay in Baltimore because I like his tenacity. I like his attitude. He's a freak athlete. He is so fast. He's so athletic. I think if he can just get his mental and be more confident in the play calls, more confident in his abilities, and kind of slow things down, I think he can be really good. And he's only in year three, and he only played one year in college. So you're looking at at the last five years. He's you know he's only been a starter playing linebacker for four years. That's crazy. Three of those being the NFL. So hopefully things are starting to slow down for him and he starts picking it up and continuing to play at the level he's playing at. I also want to give a shout out to Marlon Humphrey. Another guy who takes a lot of um, a lot of criticism for the way he acts on Twitter. A lot of the shit he says is stupid. He's got these like cryptic tweets all the time. He has bad takes on food. Goofy guy, but ever since the Jimmy Smith retirement, I think that hit him. I, him and Jimmy probably had a conversation. I watched um, Studio 44. If you guys don't watch that, it's this little podcast slash show that the Ravens put on, produce, and Marlon Humphrey is the host, and he hosts Ravens players, former players, Baltimore athletes, stuff like that. And it's kind of cool. I mean, I like Marlon's personality. I think it's a little too much at times, but... I do enjoy hearing him speak and hearing him talk and goof around sometimes. Small doses of it. But if you haven't watched that, check it out. It's on YouTube on the Baltimore Ravens channel. But ever since that Jimmy Smith retirement, we've kind of seen him really own this leadership role in the defense. And I don't know if it was having some of the veterans around the building recently or what, but I really like what he's doing for this team. I mean... He's played in all seven games this season so far. And for a guy that had some injury issues last season and the season before, I mean, that's got to feel good, you know, to him. I'm sure the coaching staff feels great about it. Obviously, having him on the field is a game changer. And you don't hear his name called often. And as a cornerback, it's pretty, that's, that's typically a good thing. So far this season, he has two interceptions, he has three pass deflections. One fumble recovery, 28 tackles. He's played 97% of the snaps on the def- on the defense. That's insane. That's absurd. Let's talk about last game. He was essentially tasked to follow um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who you would he's not the number one receiver, but he is a threat for the Browns. And he, now, Peoples-Jones was targeted three times, and he caught the ball all three times. All right, so that doesn't sound great. However, total yards, 12 yards. Three catches, 12 yards, and one of them was a long of seven yards. So one pass for seven yards, and then the next two passes were only five yards total. So three catches for 12 yards. That's phenomenal on a stud wide receiver on a top-notch wide receiver for a football team. 
And then my last shout-out. Actually, I'm going to do two more. Right, let's do two on the offense. My next one is Pat Ricard. Project Pat, baby. Just laying pancakes and dumping syrup on these dudes. This guy, I love watching this guy, man. And I don't know how. And like we, The Baltimore Ravens are so predictable. Their offense is so predictable, which pisses me off. But if you see Pat Ricard motioning to his side or swinging to his side, I mean, 90% of the ball, 90, 90% of the time, the ball's going there. And teams can't stop it because he's just, like I said earlier, a rhinoceros. He's a rhino with a fucking bulldozer scoop instead of a horn just fucking mowing dudes down. I mean, pancaking guys. He's doing these amazing turn blocks. And it's just it's just so nice to have a fullback. I mean, the Ravens are historically really good at finding guys like this. And... He's up there. I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to outdo Vonta Leach. Obviously, Kyle Juszczyk was a stud as well. He wasn't here as long as I would have liked. But having a guy come in after Juice, like Pat Ricard, is awesome. I mean, at 300 pounds, being able to run the way he does, be be as agile as he is, be able to catch out of the backfield. And he, he just seems, he seems like a cool guy, which is always, you know, something that you like to see in here. And um, his mic'd up was pretty cool. But... I want to give a shout out to him. And then my last shout out on the offense side, and it's not receiver. It's no one flashy. I mean, we got guys like Lamar, obviously. We got guys like Mark Andrews, obviously. But if you guys haven't been watching what Morgan Moses is doing at the right tackle position, I encourage you to try and watch it. I know it's not fun. I know it's not flashy or particularly attractive to the eye watching offensive linemen do their things. But what's cool about the Ravens is they do, they, I mean, if you're going to give Greg Roman props, it's obviously in his run, run game schematics and schemes, right? The way these plays are designed, the way these blocking schemes are designed are like out of this world. And there's only maybe two other guys that are capable of drawing things up like this as well. And so the Ravens have a lot of tackle pulls. Typically you see centers pull or guards pull but the Ravens do a lot of counters a lot of things where the tackles are actually pulling and going to the opposite side of the field and blocking or doing turn blocks opening up holes Morgan Moses is consistently blocking guys five six seven yards downfield just chopping his feet and just mowing dudes down he's been so solid He's been consistent. That is a great pickup, and he doesn't get talked about enough. So, shout out to Morgan Moses. Keep it up. If you guys, you know, remember or care enough to check him out, plays right tackle. I believe he's number 78. And just take a look. Take a look. Now, that's about it as far as um, the preview goes. I'm going to do... I think the Ravens win this game. The only, to be honest, the only reason I'm skeptical is because it's Thursday night. I think if we play them on a Sunday, I feel much more comfortable with a full week of preparation. I mean, it sucks to go against a guy like Tom Brady with only three days to prep. And I think our our secondary is going to get a decent test this week with both Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. If Russell Gage plays, he's a good player. Um, and... 
I really want to see something out of our D-line. They're slowly waking up, and I really want to see them have a moment this game. And get get to Brady. I need to see something from Owe. I need to see something from JPP. He's going against his former team. JPP was on the Buccaneers um, the last two seasons, I believe. And they didn't bring him back, so I'm sure he has some animosity towards them. I want to see a, re- a revenge game from him. I want to see Houston. I think we have something really good going on where we're able to have OA, younger guy, take a lot of snaps. We're able to have two veterans like Houston and JPP then split snaps. So getting a constant rotation of fresh legs. I mean, the D-line, I think they're, they're doing a good job rotating guys. I mean, you got Clays Campbell, who's old as shit, still effective and productive, but you don't want him taking... Uh, you know, a majority of the snaps, a guy at that age, he's just not going to hold up well. And, you know, injuries happen when guys that old are playing as many snaps as they play. So the more limited you can make him, the fresher his legs are, I think the better odds that he can stay healthy. Broderick Washington, you got Jason Matabike and those guys, just um, Travis Jones and just constantly in rotation with those outside linebackers and DNs is a beautiful thing. And I really want to see them make a statement this game. And I think they will. I think they will. With a somewhat beat up O-line from the Bucks. I want to see them hit Brady. I want to see it. Now, let's talk about the secondary real quick. If they're able to do this, the secondary's lives become a whole lot easier. If the, if the D-line is able to get pressure. Now, I think they're going to be challenged. Now, I expect them to do something where it's a bend don't break mentality this game maybe they blitz a lot and have to i i I don't want to see them in man-to-man a ton i really don't obviously when you're blitzing guys it forces you go man-to-man but i'd like to see maybe you go pressure on first down try and get to brady first down and then you back off second and third down um instead of always bringing pressure on third down obviously the distance becomes a factor but I would love to see them bring pressure on first down which is going to help in the run game run defense game and maybe you get some early hits on Brady and you get into second and 15s second and 14s and make them have to pass the ball and then you can drop guys back and give you a better opportunity to stop the ball get past deflections interceptions stuff like that if we can if we can get pressure with four guys from the start of the game that's going to be the key if we can get pressure with our with four guys and allow us to have other guys drop back and do occasional blitzes with linebackers and corners and safeties off the edge, I think that's key. I hope I'm the only thing I'm slightly worried about too is Geno Stone. I mean, he's done well fill, filling in for Marcus Williams, but young guy, not a ton of hasn't had a ton of playing time as far as starting in regular season games. And there's good receivers on this team and good offensive coordinator. And we'll we'll see how he we'll see how he plays this game, but I'd like to see a good game from him. If he has a good game, I think we have a good chance of winning this one. I really do. So, score prediction, man, it's it's tough. I'm I'm gonna pick the Ravens to win this game. I earlier in the season when I went through the remaining schedule a couple weeks ago, I actually picked the Buccaneers to win this one. However, the Buccaneers have not looked great. The last couple weeks. So I'm actually going to flop that. I also picked the Ravens to beat the Giants. Comfortably. comfortably. So I got to make up a win here. I think this is the week where we can make up a win. 
go to five and three, hopefully. And I'm gonna go with a final score of twenty seven. Twenty seven to twenty. Twenty seven to twenty. I think I think Brady is able to get some I think we're gonna have a decent first half and Brady's able to start warming up in the second half and maybe get two touchdowns going. A couple field goals, maybe. Maybe it's like a 10-14 game at half. Something along those lines. And I think we're going to see a slightly more complete game from on all three phases from the Ravens this week. Hopefully. Maybe, simple, maybe having a simplified game plan will benefit them. Who knows? But I'm going to go... I'm going to go 27-20 Ravens. And take that win. Get another win on that bum-ass boy Brady. And send him home to his empty ass house where he'll just sit there and eat avocado ice cream and have his little masseuse guy massage his ass cheeks and shit like that. Whatever that weirdo does all the time. So, guys, I hope you appreciate this preview. We got a big game tomorrow night, or I guess when you guys are hearing this, tonight. And let's go Ravens, baby. Let's get some momentum going. I really feel... I. I feel good about this game. Like I said, I could be completely wrong. This team seems to go week to week. and But I really think that this team has an opportunity to not to win this game, go, into New or- go to New Orleans, win that game, and then they got a bye week to get healthy, to maybe get some guys back. David Ojabo is kind of sitting there lurking in the shadows, trying to come back. We'll see if he, when he does, but maybe that's a guy that provides a spark. And... They just start headhunting people off the edges with him, JPP, OA, Houston, and Tyus Bowser's lurking in the shadows too. That boy's trying to come back. I mean, if you look at these DNs, if you got OA, Tyus Bowser, JPP, Houston, Ojabo, that's a five-man rotation that you can have fresh legs at all times, basically, and have these guys be productive. So be positive, Ravens flock. I think... Brighter days are ahead of us. Fingers crossed. But anyway, I hope you guys appreciate this video. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Let's go Ravens, man. Let's go get a win Thursday night. Tough Thursday night game. And put Tom Brady in the grave. Let's let's end this Bucs season tonight. And propel our season to hopefully brighter and better things going forward. All right? This is KJ. I'm out. I appreciate you guys for listening. Like, share, comment, tell all your buddies, your Ravens fans and whatnot. Let's go get this dub. Hey!